Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $20 on the steel MS-162 or MS-170 chainsaw. Real steel. Offer valid through June 30th, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Hello, Sunshine. I'm Alexi Lawless, and welcome to the State of the Union podcast, where we look at the beautiful game on and off the field through the lens of red, white, and blue-colored glasses. This show will be talking an American soccer Christmas party. Pulisic, billion-dollar goal, my Christmas wish list, the uh, UCL Sweet 16, the return of Messi versus Ronaldo, Dean Smith versus Dean Smith, a 94 education, and so much more. But first, joining me, as always, my friend, my colleague, my guiding light, David Mossy, a soccer savant and a Fox soccer researcher and writer extraordinaire. Mossy, how you doing on this uh, Thursday, December 14th in the year 2023? I'm doing well. If I seem a little tired today, it's because last night was the Fox holiday party here at the lot. I, I showed up at 6.30 planning to have one drink, but I glommed on to the <laughs> digital crew. Yada, yada, yada. I stumbled home at midnight. You stumbled home at midnight. Yes. That's a good party then. Yeah. You know, the digital crew, they can party. There, there are people like John Marcus, who I don't know how they even made it in here today. but Because they're professionals, my yes. friend. They're professionals. I do want to say, uh, Sean Sullivan, not there, which would have been unheard of prior to him getting married, but he's now uh, <laughs> more mature, not wow. quite the same party animal. Uh, I also didn't see Kat, but evidently she was there. She has the pictures to prove it. We somehow missed each other. It was almost like she avoided it's me all night. almost as if, Somebody was at a party having a good time and as part of their planning and uh, along the way of having a good time, avoiding you at all costs seems to be of paramount importance. Um, all right, cool. Well, wh- what's your uh, drink of choice at a holiday party? Are you an eggnog type of person or? Uh... Uh, it was just beer and wine. Okay. I could have had other things, but that's what was most convenient. So you're a, you're a beer guy. You were yep, having yep. beer. All right. Uh, I too had a party, but... You know, I'm a little bit older than you. Actually, a lot older than you. I've been doing this for a while. And, uh, you know, you rally. And I rallied across the uh, the country uh, this morning. And I'm uh, here in the, uh, in the studio. So I went out to Atlanta, the great city of Atlanta. As you can see, all sorts of people were out there. And this was to celebrate the new um, state-of-the-art uh, um, National Team Training Center that I know a lot of people have read about that is coming uh, right outside of uh, uh, Atlanta in a place called Trillith. And for those that you know anything about movies, there are Trillith Studios out there, and it's, it's literally in the middle of nowhere, kind of. But it just keeps getting built up, built up, built up. And so it's going to be awesome. All the offices are moving there. Fields are moving there. Uh, our good friend Carly Lloyd saw her just at this massive, massive party. Uh, Heather O'Reilly, Kobe Jones, Marcelo Balboa. For those watching, you just saw me and him doing a before and after from 30 years ago. He still looks the, the same. He's got real good genes. Uh, Kelly O'Hara. Kyle Martino, uh, Greg Berhalter, who I uh, hung out with uh, and talked, BJ Callahan, uh, JT Batson, Cindy Parlo Cohn, Andreas Contor, Melissa Ortiz, our good friend Melissa or- uh, Ortiz. And it was fun to just hang out with all of these uh, different people. Did you know, and, and you know, some of them, obviously, not all of them, soccer people will have heard, uh, heard their names, but there were so many different people from past and present that I saw and people that I was even meeting for the first time. I met, um, uh, Beth Barbers. I think that is her name. She is a defender from Atlanta, Georgia, uh, that plays on the U S women's deaf national team. Just, just wonderful, wonderful people out there celebrating this thing. And, you know, for those of us that have been around a while, Mossy, when it comes to American soccer, there's me with Beth, by the way, um, for those that are watching, it's kind of been not half ass, but relative to what is coming in terms of this this training center, this is going to be a whole nother level. As I mentioned, the offices for U.S. soccer are moving there. And, and so now the question is, with a real training center, does Atlanta become 
you know, the, uh, what's the, what's the, what do the French call their, their uh, training, not Buffontaine or whatever the, what the thing? Clairefontaine. Clairefontaine. There we go. Does, does, does Atlanta, whatever it's going to be called going forward, actually become, become that going forward? Or is it a staging area that everybody comes into? We know a lot of the players play over in Europe and they can obviously get to Atlanta directly from a lot of those places. So there's a convenience in doing that. It's going to be really interesting to see how they go about using this training facility and how, how it relates also specifically to our national teams, including our men's team and national teams going forward. But it was, it was fun. I mean, I saw people like, you know, our, our, uh, our, our PR director for the New England Revolution when I was back there in 1996, uh, as I mentioned, Andreas Contour, who I've now seen multiple places over the last, uh, last few months. Just really, really fun, fun time. I, too, uh, partook and had some beverages and then got up really early and flew across the country to be with you here today. Any fans of the pod at this event? I'll, I'll tell you what, my friend. I, uh, so, not just one. Multiple people made a point of coming up to me and saying, I love the pod. I listen to the pod. Most of them saying, say hi to Mossy and, and all that. I had a fascinating uh, conversation with a guy named Steve, who is a, uh, he's a lawyer there. And he actually uh, did some work on the, uh, on the National Training Center. I, I, he just gave us the, the biggest compliment in terms of the podcasting world. And we know there's a glut out there. Everybody's got a podcast. There's a lot of them that you could choose from. But I wish I had recorded it because it was just effusive in his praise for why he likes what we are doing here. So whatever it is, let's keep it going for people like, like, like Steve. And so thank you, Steve. Uh, I had a wonderful time talking to him about soccer and about life and politics and everything. It was just, it was wonderful, wonderful uh, evening with so many different, uh, different people. So um, that was fun. And we look forward ultimately when they break down ground and see ultimately what this thing is going to uh, look like. Have you watched anything, my friend? I did go see a movie a couple of nights ago, The Holdovers. What's that? Oh, it's uh, terrific. It's about this uh, prep school in New England in the seventies. It's kind of this dark comedy, these uh, students that have to stay over the Christmas break okay. with this grumpy teacher. Uh, no, it's got a 96% Rotten Tomatoes. It's probably going to be nominated for a lot of awards. It was on one of the lists that your mom sent you. I know you're, you forward this to me. Your mom sent you a couple of top 10 best movie lists of 2023. Well, we know that lists play, right? right. And so my, my mom, obviously, at the end of the, of the year, all of these lists are coming out. And I know she, she takes your word as gospel when you talk about them. But I think she was just trying to show how one publication can have a completely different list. So much so that, um, what's the... Uh, Oppenheimer. Oppenheimer yeah. was number one on a list. And then on the other list, I, I, I shan't name the uh, names of the publications, but on this other publication, it wasn't even in the top 10. And she, her mind couldn't fathom how that could possibly be the case. Well, in any event, I love The Holdovers. So okay. That belongs on any top 10 list. I thought this movie was fantastic. All right, so there's a couple of uh, soccer documentaries, like uh, episodal documentaries out there that are streaming right now. We're going to save Under Pressure uh, for the, uh, so, some coming shows because I know you haven't seen that yet. And that is the uh, U.S. Women's National Team documentary that follows them through ultimately what was the historic failure of the uh, World Cup this summer. So we're going to save that because I know you want to watch that. Um, but I will mention the, the billion-dollar goal, and that is over on Paramount+. Plus. And this... The way that it, it was marketed and sold was this was about Paul Caligiuri's goal that ultimately sent the U.S. Uh, to the 1990 World Cup and how important that was in the trajectory and the growth of, of soccer. And it was. And the archival footage that you see is just, it's wonderful. Whether it's our friend J.P. Della Camera or... Um, you know, all of these different players in the past. Tony Miola is wonderful in it. I think he just, he is really good at framing what that team was and what that team was and, and how important that was. Paul Caligiuri, uh, Mike Windis Windishman, a name you don't hear a whole lot, but, you know, one of the pioneers when it comes to a, a center back and the captain for that team back in, uh, in 90. I, I will say this. Tony was great. Uh, the late, great Grant Wall is heavily in it. He even starts off the pod and it, it was wonderful. Um, and, you know, I guess, you know, very emotional for, for many of us to see him once again doing um, what he was so great at doing, which is talking about soccer. And again, he just, he oozes passion and knowledge and history when it comes to the, uh, uh, to the sport. 
Um, but it, it did get a little convoluted through it in that, you know, there's a there's the grant wall part of it. And then at the end of the of the um of the documentary, it goes back to, to, to Grant Wall. And it's almost as if these could have been m- multiple different documentaries. You know, one, obviously about what the, the title is, which is this goal and how much it is meant to the future of soccer. One that could have been simply about Grant Wall and his incredible life. One that could have been also, because there's a segment where they talk about, you know, the, the we call it soccer and what soccer is and the history of what it is. And I know they're trying to get context, but even that in and of itself, I think could be a fascinating documentary of what American soccer is. And then I guess the fourth version of this documentary could be what it end up, ended up being a lot, which was, you know, just kind of an advertisement for the talent over there at CBS. And they're all, they're all wonderful, but it just seemed at times forced and I didn't quite get it. And it took me out of the, um, you know, what, what I thought what the documentary was ultimately about, but I'm a, you know, I'm a diehard and I'm, I'm going to watch anything that has especially historic type of stuff. And I am a product of the 1990 team. I was in the stands watching that 1990 team. And if Paul Carroll jury doesn't put that ball in that goal, I don't know if I'm sitting here today. And that's how important that goal was. And so it's worth, it's worth telling that story. And that story is told. All right. That's a real long type of preamble that we have here to the pod, but we had a lot of things that we wanted to talk about. You ready to light this candle, my friend? Let's do it. All right. Where should we start? Uh, the group stage of the UEFA Champions League is in the books. Match day six took place this week. Lots to talk about. The big story on Tuesday, Manchester United crashing out of the competition. They needed a Copenhagen Galatasaray draw and then a win over Bayern and neither happened. Uh, Copenhagen beat Galatasaray 1-0, so they advance. United lost 1-0 at home to Bayern. Kingsley Coman with the only goal assisted by Harry Kane. United lost four of their six games in this group. They finished dead last, so they're out of Europe altogether. And they've lost 12 of their 24 matches in all competitions this season. We're going to talk a little bit more about Ten Hag and what this means for him in a little bit. But this particular game, and you mentioned Harry Kane. This has got to feel pretty good for him. Uh, I mean, albeit beating up on a... (laughs) a very weakened and different type of Manchester United team than maybe he has been used to playing in the past. But his assist was wonderful uh, on the goal. The, the, way that he, the way that he spun it, and he got a little bit, little bit of fortune in the way that the ball, ca- ball came to him. But this is, it, it's not surprising. I think that's fair to say, given what Manchester United isn't this year. And yet time and time again, when this team steps on the field, we seem to be waiting for something to happen. That's us on the outside waiting for something to happen. Then the problem is that the players actually on the field also seem to be waiting for that shirt to play as opposed to them actually uh, actually playing for us. So while, while in a normal world, this is surprising, but this is not a normal type of Manchester United here. And it's, it's not just out, right? They're, they're out completely. They're out, out of completely. Europe. Completely. Yes. Oh, my goodness. Well, I guess they're not fighting on multiple fronts now, so maybe that'll help them. No. Maybe. <laughs> also on Tuesday, PSV and Arsenal played to a 1-1 draw. This game was meaningless. These teams were locked into first and second in their group. As I predicted on our last pod, Ricardo Pepe did get the start. Malik Tillman started as well. Sergino Des came on as a sub. And Pepe actually provided the assist on the PSV goal, which means that Doug McIntyre has to update his stats Pepe's minutes per goal contribution. So Doug crunching the numbers on that, but a pretty good moment for Ricardo Pepe here. So the just the ball into space, that that that's what created the goal? Yeah. Okay. Looking. I, I know we're maybe reaching here, but <laughs> <laughs> also he missed a sitter uh, right right in front of uh, right in front of goal. So and a lot of people talking about Doug McIntyre and and that conversation that we had about Pepe. Uh, we had talked about he him probably getting an opportunity here. I think that he did he did well, but I don't think he starred in the way that ne- necessarily is going to automatically say, "All right, now he is the starter." Uh, even though, even with the assist, uh, even with the assist here. On Wednesday, all the drama centered on Group F. You had PSG, Newcastle, and AC Milan battling for one spot. PSG ended up getting it. They played to a one-one draw away to Dortmund. Karim Adeyemi scored for Dortmund. Seventeen-year-old Warren. Zaire Emery uh, equalized for PSG. But that result meant that had Newcastle beaten AC Milan at home, Newcastle would have advanced. PSG would have been out. And Newcastle led that game in the second half on a goal by Joe Eddington. They were playing well. St. James Park was rocking. 
And then Milan scored twice. Christian Pulisic with the equalizer. Chukwueze got the winner late. So that group ended Dortmund in first, PSG second, AC Milan third. They go to the Europa League, and Newcastle finished dead last. So first off, if you're watching um, and you didn't see the game, those uh, those jerseys are ridiculous. Okay, <laughs> um, my goodness, uh, they're horrible. But doesn't matter. Christian Pulisic he scores goals, and it was an opportunistic goal. I'm glad that he uh, scored the goal, and I'm glad that Milan is still in Europe and and ultimately got the win. Mossy, when it comes to Newcastle, for now, now for multiple years, we've talked about the money that they have. All right. And let's be fair, the money that they have spent. We all know just because you have a lot of money doesn't necessarily mean it's going to equate to success. This is uh, the, the, the trajectory, at least in general, I feel has been positive. I, you know, I'm, I'll, I'll talk to Warren Barton and see maybe him, uh, how he feels about this right now, because this everybody's kind of looked at Newcastle and been very strangely mature in the way that they have approached it, that this is a slow grow type of thing, but this is certainly um, a a work in progress, but that progress has to lead them to an elite type of level. Now, do you think that this progress continues on? Is this just a step back in order to go two steps forward or has it been stunted or is, is this, as the saying goes, as good as it gets? I think this season is going to be perceived as a regression because finishing in the top four last season, they were maybe slightly ahead of schedule. I don't see them finishing in the top four this season. So you're just going to look at the standings and say, well, they took a step back and they finished last in their Champions League group. Now, they've gone about it in such a way where they're still trying to preserve this plucky underdog identity despite being the richest club in the world. So they're trying to sell it as, hey, it was still useful to get in the Champions League and see what that's like, and that'll benefit us down the road. And as you mentioned, the reaction's been very mature. Nobody's uh, portraying this as a disaster, but uh, we'll see at the end of the season what the, what the narrative is. All right. Uh, so AC Milan goes through in terms of playing in Europe. Obviously, doesn't go through to the round of 16, though, right? Correct. And PSG avert a disaster. Imagine right? them going out in the group stage and the ramifications that could have had with Mbappe's future and oh my all that. Oh, my goodness. What else? Uh, so uh, the group stage is in the books. We have our 16 teams. The draw is on Monday. Um, kind of a disappointing group stage for the Premier League. Two of their teams, Manchester United and Newcastle, finished bottom of their groups. Man City and Arsenal did top their groups. You had four Spanish group winners. Real Madrid, Barcelona, Atletico Madrid, and Real Sociedad, and then two German, Bayern, and Dortmund. In terms of the second-place finishers, PSG, you have three Italian teams, Inter Milan, Napoli, and Lazio. Then you have PSV, Porto, Leipzig, and Copenhagen. So I think in terms of Monday's draw, the pot two teams you don't want to get would be PSG and Mbappe or Inter Milan, last season's runners-up and current Serie A leaders. We, we always use this as kind of referendums on, on leagues and where they are, where they're going. Um, the, you mentioned the EPL, the dearth, I guess, of the EPL teams. So uh, Man City and Arsenal, right? Correct. Do you think that this is an alarm bell for that league, or is it just one of those moments? I think it's just one of those moments. Okay. And, and I do see City and Arsenal going far. So I think they'll have two teams that are real contenders to potentially win it. And how does the, 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 is the pot set up for the picking? Is it just whatever? So group winners in one pot and runners up in a different pot. Got it. Okay. Um, All right. Well, we'll see who avoids what when uh, the matches and the matchups come out. Anything else? That is it. All right. Let's take a quick break. When we come back, ooh, we got some... Messi versus Ronaldo stuff. They're back, baby. Don't go anywhere. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, price line. Okay, welcome back. Ooh, speaking of back, we have Messi Ronaldo. It's it's happening, Mossy. Uh, we knew it was going to happen, right? So, uh, Inter Miami, Messi's Inter Miami, will be heading for a preseason tournament to Saudi Arabia, which is where Ronaldo plays. I think they're going to call it whatever they're. The cup or something like that? Riyadh Season Cup. Obviously, it's the Riyadh Season Cup. But 
more importantly, we get once again that matchup that has sustained not just the fans of both of these players, um, but soccer to a certain extent over the last 15 years, shall we say. So Inter Miami are going to play two games, one against Al Hilal, which is Neymar's team. Of course, he suffered a torn ACL recently, so that deprives us of a Messi versus Neymar. But then the second game is against Al Nasser, Cristiano Ronaldo's team. So yes, we do get a Messi versus Ronaldo. They've met once or twice before over the years. What's the uh, what's the number here? 35 times they have met between club and country. My God. And Messi's team has won... 16 of those times. Ronaldo's team has won 10 and then nine ties along the way. Messi with 21 goals and 12 assists in those matches and Ronaldo with 20 goals and one assist. Will you watch? I will. And this to me will settle the debate once and for all. This (laughs) Inter-Miami Al Nasser (laughs) preseason game. Well, it's again, it has bigger ramifications, right? I mean, this is not just a fight about Messi-Ronaldo. This is a fight about these two emerging leagues and credibility on and off the field. I mean, you could build this into a whole WWE type of promotional campaign for, you know, the the hearts and minds of the world, if you will. Uh, a couple of interesting notes. Um, Messi was announced today, one of the three finalists for the FIFA Best Player Award alongside Mbappe in Holland. And the time frame that this award covers doesn't include the World Cup. So this is what he did across 2023 for club and country. So it'd be interesting to see if he would win an award even beyond the World Cup because we've all attributed his recent Player of the Year triumphs to paying him off for having won the World Cup. So, you know, let me let me ask you something about <laughs> Messi and Ronaldo. Right? We from the outside, um, I think everybody's guilty of building it up. And rightfully so. These are two of the greatest players ever to play the game. And at the heights of their powers, they were constantly coming uh, up against each other. And it just kind of lend itself because how different types of stars they were to this compare and contrast. Do you think, I guess Messi first, do you think Messi cares about the the quote unquote rivalry? Uh, To a lesser degree than Ronaldo. Really? Yeah. But... Isn't that just because outwardly Ronaldo is, I guess, would be would be perceived as being more egotistical and more caring of image? And I think the general consensus in the soccer world, my sense is it's is more pro Messi. So I think Ronaldo is the guy that feels the bigger chip on his shoulder and feels like he's disrespected in the comparison. I think as time has gone on, he has taken on and not 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 in a way that he likes to, much more of the villain role relative to Messi. And, and not, not a heel, but the juxtaposition between the two, I think is very different now than it was five, 10 years ago in the way that we, uh, we look at these two players. All right. Uh, in, incidentally, yes. the, the Club World Cup is off and running in Saudi Arabia. And the first match, Saudi Arabian side Ali Tihad claimed a 3-0 win over Auckland City. Benzema... And N'Golo Kante among the scorers, which shows you the pedigree that that Al-Itihad team has. Uh, Benzema becomes the first player ever to score in four different Club World Cups. Uh, It's his fifth Club World Cup goal. The record is seven by Ronaldo, so Benzema is trying to break that record. And yeah, since Saudi Arabia began this crazy spending spree, this is sort of the first real competitive tournament for a Saudi Arabian club to showcase itself uh, with all this newfound talent. So uh, we'll be keeping an eye on it for sure. All right, so we go to uh, England? Yes, uh, our European weekend preview begins in England. Liverpool will host Manchester United this weekend. You might recall last season in this fixture, Liverpool won 7-0 over the Red Devils at Anfield. All right, we, we teased it a little earlier. You want to talk about Ten Hag now? Yes, a lot of people wondering how this man still has a job. You know, I thought of you because The Athletic did this piece on Ten Hag and they mentioned that the players think he lacks charisma. <laughs> well, he does. I mean, he's, he's not Jose Mourinho. He's never going to be. But again, buyer beware. You, you knew exactly what you were getting. And, and in the same way that we kind of talked about Newcastle, there does seem to be this hands-off approach and strangely mature type uh, I just don't think people want to admit that they've made yet another mistake. 
this article also mentioned that what might be saving Ten Hag is the fact that the Glazers are in the process of selling 25% of the club to this Jim Ratcliffe, and he's going to be in charge of the football decisions. The Glazers, they just want to worry about the business side moving forward and let somebody else pick the managers and sign the players. Uh, but that deal is not official yet, so there's a little bit of a power vacuum here where the Glazers don't want to make any big decisions right before this new group is going to be taking over, but the new group hasn't taken over yet. So that might be why Ten Hag still has a job because they're not really in a position to fire him right now because of this sort of weird lame duck uh, status. But as we always say, it's easier to fire a coach, right, than to fire the players. And so when this new group takes over, they're just deferring to them because the soccer part is going to be on, on them. And so you wouldn't want to do something that they didn't approve of? Is that, is that the thinking? Yes, I think that is the thinking, yeah. All right. Well, as long as you are the owner, until the very moment that you are not, or you are, as long as you're in charge of what's happening on the field when it comes to the product that you're putting on the field, I think you have a responsibility to your fans, to your season ticket holders, ultimately to your customers, to do everything possible to give them the highest quality product. And if, if they believe that Ten Hag is not doing that right now, then you got to make a change. But I, again, I think a lot of people are, are looking at it and saying, you know what? He's not the problem. The recruitment behind the scenes, the, I guess, the dysfunction behind the scenes when it comes to identifying talent, that's the real problem. That's a bigger problem that needs to be so- sorted out. And again, this strange maturity coming from a lot of people is, is sometimes... It's a little hard to deal with, right? I mean, usually it's off with the head. I don't think this will be 7-0, but I expect a Liverpool win, which would make it 13 defeats in 25 games for Manchester United this season, which is astonishing. Well, if it becomes embarrassing in terms of the scoreline, you know, after last week losing at home and losing, I mean, it's bad optics for what is considered one of the greatest brands and is one of the greatest brands in the world to be to be this bad and then not to do anything. Big clubs do stuff. And they even if it's just for the optics of, hey, we're doing something. And I don't think in this situation you're throwing the baby out with the bathwater when it comes to 10 Ox. All right. We head to Italy next, uh, where Inter, your league leaders, are away to Lazio. But the big one, at least according to producer Sean Sullivan, <laughs> is Bologna hosting Roma. Those two teams level on points for fourth. Sean is a Bologna fan. He's fired up about how they're playing this season. Uh, you know, I, I've talked a lot about Xabi Alonso. Bologna also have a manager who's a real up-and-comer, Thiago Motta, who is a uh, Brazilian-born midfielder who played for Brazil at youth level and then switched allegiance to Italy, played for them at senior level, played for Barcelona, Atletico Madrid, Inter Milan, PSG. Very talented, but always seemed to be injured. Uh, he then retired, went into coaching, and he's done very well. And he's also starting to get linked to some bigger jobs. So. Uh, keep an eye out for Thiago Mota. Now, that's a manager on the way up. Uh, Jose Mourinho on the way down, as we know. And he had an interesting uh, moment uh, this week. He was asked a fairly innocuous question about Roma's center back situation. <laughs> Nothing's innocuous when it comes to him. Might they sign somebody in January? They're a little light in that uh, department. And he said, well, we don't have that much money. It's not like I'm Pep Guardiola who can spend 80 million pounds on Calvin Phillips and he doesn't even play. And then he said, but I'm not jealous. Um, but that was a moment where Mourinho revealed that he is bitter about having to drop down a level. I'm sure he looks at the Man Cities and Real Madrids and the Champions League, and he kind of misses being on that stage. So you could tell he's, he's struggling to cope with this whole uh, Roma situation. Well, look, a, a, a bitter Mourinho is redundant, okay? Yeah. And we always talk about what some of these coaches that we have put up on high would look like if and when they don't have the options and the resources at their disposal. Now, I'm not saying that, uh, that, uh, um, that Joseph Mourinho isn't, isn't a good coach. What he is saying is exactly what anybody who has been on high and now looks at the situation, especially relative to, to Pep, would say. But I'm sure there's plenty of coaches going, ah, now you get it. Now you understand what we are, what we are up against. But the whole point is, if you are such a star, if you are revered and live up to that, then you should be able to coach them up and make them better. And again, if Mourinho is just all about, well, I just need more money, anybody anybody can do that. That's not a coach. That's not a manager. 
Uh, Bologna, by the way, a lovely city. It's the capital of the Emilia-Romagna region. Do we know the story behind Sean's affiliation and connection with this? Sean, what's going on over there? I mean, uh, it seems like a random type of team. Was it random? Yes? Kind of random. All right, we're going to get that story. Their their motto is La Dota, La Grasa, La Rosa. I've spoken about this before. Uh, La Dota is because the oldest university in Europe, founded in 1088, is in Bologna. La Grasa, it's because it's the food capital, hence why Sean Sullivan likes him so much, the food capital of Italy. And then La Rosa has to do with the architecture, the buildings are red, and also their left-leaning politics. So it's it's a fascinating city. All right, we get it. You know a lot of stuff. All right, what's that? what else? You know what? I'm going to use this as an opportunity to talk about something I've been meaning to talk oh, about. Oh, good. Um, Love it. We, we, uh, we still reference top four, but keep in mind, the Champions League is expanding next season. And the two leagues that finish with the highest coefficient at the end of this season, they get extra spots. So for the Premier League, La Liga, Bundesliga, Serie A, fifth place could become a Champions League spot. So keep that in mind as we go along this season and we talk about standings and top four. So does so does the cha- so, so does the EPL only having two teams going on hurt them that hurts in terms them, of the yeah. coefficient? So yes. they possibly others could get more and they could not get more. It's a possibility. Yeah. Ooh, interesting, interesting, interesting. Uh, what else? Uh, next up, we go to Germany where. The big one there, Bayern Munich will host Stuttgart. Uh, Bayern, we know they just beat United, but from a Bundesliga perspective, they're trying to bounce back from that 5-1 defeat to Frankfurt. Stuttgart are an interesting story, if I may geek out for a minute, because they began last season managed by an American, Pellegrino Matarazzo, got off to a terrible start. He was sacked. They brought another manager who didn't do well. He was sacked. They eventually brought in Sebastian Honus, who's their current boss, and they finished 16th, had to survive a playoff against Hamburg just to stay in the top flight. And here they are in third place, looking great. They have a striker, Serhu Girasi, who has 16 Bundesliga goals this season. You might assume that Harry Kane, with what he's doing, would be the runaway top scorer. He's only two ahead. Kane's got 18, Girasi's got 16, and they clash head-to-head this weekend. So that'll be a fun game. They will. Keep in mind, though, uh, and we mentioned this in the last pod, that Bayern is a game behind because of the game that got uh, canceled, right? Correct. Because of the uh, the weather. So, yes, Bayern is sitting in second, four points behind Leverkusen, but they do have that uh, that game in hand. All right. Uh, anything else? Uh, one bonus one. We're taping this Ooh. on Thursday. The Liga MX Apertura final gets underway later tonight. Uh, leg one, Tigres hosts Club America at the Estadio Universitario. And then Sunday, leg two at the... Azteca at last night's holiday party. I spoke to Rodolfo Landeros about this matchup. He's excited, <laughs> thinks it's a dream final. So Mexicans fired up for this. I, I was uh, getting my son to roll his R's the other day. He takes takes Spanish. It's very difficult. If you can't do it, I don't think you can learn to do it. You either can do it or you can't. It's like twisting your tongue or something like that. But Club America, by the way, managed by a Brazilian, André Jardini, who won the Olympic gold medal with Brazil in the last cycle. We talk about Brazil not really exporting managers. Uh, here's one that's actually finding success outside of Brazil. Interesting story there. We also know you're importing one. Alleged, <laughs> allegedly. <laughs> allegedly. All right, let's take another quick break. When we come back, it's time for Ask Alexi. Okay, welcome back. It's time for Ask Alexi, that part of the show where you send in your comments, questions, and concerns. You can do that uh, on the social media platforms that we have out there. Keep in mind that our handle is... SOTU with Alexi and use that hashtag Ask Alexi, or you can call into our State of the Union podcast hotline, which is 657 549 2297. That's 657 549 2297. Mossy, what do the people want to know this episode? First up, a question on X. Patrick Lechenberger asks What will it take for the average Major League Soccer player to make roughly the same compensation as players in the NFL, NBA, and Major League Baseball? So this is probably coming off of that, uh, what's his name? Uh, oh, Donnie. That, although there's some shenanigans going on over there. Ridiculous. You think it's ridiculous? Yes. The d- d- deferral Defer, of that. Yes. Why? So he's only got, we mentioned it's a 10-year, $700 million deal. He's only going to get paid about $20 million through the first nine years of the deal, and then 680 in the last year of the deal. He's willing to do that because he makes so much in endorsements, and he wants the Dodgers to be able to build a good team around them so he doesn't want to blow up their budget. And so this is the creative solution they found. But I'm sorry, that's too much money to defer. There's got to be some limitations on what you can do there. And I'm bitter about it because it now frees them money to sign this Yamamoto, this Japanese pitcher that the Yankees also want to sign. So, you know, Todd Bowley really struggling with Chelsea, but uh, doing some clever stuff for the Dodgers. I I think it's smart business. (laughs) Um, All right. So, look, first off, 
and this goes back to, you know, sometimes we kick ourselves when, when we also have to pat ourselves on the back for how far we have come. When you look at, you know, the $14,000 that MLS players were, were making back when the league came online in, in 1996. And now you're getting into the, you know, the average six figures and that kind of stuff. Is it relative to other professional sports and other professional leagues where it needs to be? Uh, or does it compete? In, in most cases, in the majority, no. So how does it, how does it get there, Patrick? Well, obviously, they're, they're, they're paying Otani this money because they have this money. And this money can come from a bunch of different things. So there is the, the business side where you are actually making the money that then enables you to pay whatever it is and or more as you make more and more money. Or there's the other kind of charity side. And while MLS's business has improved and drastically improved over the last almost 30 years of existence, it's still when it comes to the TV contracts, um, pales in comparison to many of the other uh, uh, sports and certainly the big sports out there. So if and when there are millions and millions of people that are not only flocking to the games, but even more importantly, uh, actually watching it on TV and the TV contracts get bigger and bigger and bigger, obviously that is going to, um, that's going to affect the average major league soccer player in terms of making the same compensation as, to your point, NFL, NBA, and Major League, uh, major league Baseball. But again, it's, it's not as far off as it seems. And certainly the leap that has been made since 1996 makes me incredibly bullish. And, you know, this, this happens, I think, in all sports where you have veterans, older guys, and the tendency is to look at this next generation. And, you know, I guess it's, it's human nature to, you know, feel a sense of, I guess, jealous, jealousy. Uh, I, I try to guard against that in that if and when there are players that are making not just more money, but in many cases, vastly more money than previous generations, that's progress, my friend. That is, that is a win. That is what everybody is fighting for. On, you know, in different leagues, that's what the women's national team is fighting for. Everybody's fighting for it to be better. You do want to pass it on. And yeah, you can sit there and be woe is me and say, yeah, I really wish that I was playing now and think of what I could have made if I was playing now. Well, you know, timing in life is, is everything. But you have to at some point or it will eat away at you and, it, and it's not healthy. At some point, you have to take pleasure and you have to take pride in the fact that you have passed it on and made it better from a financial perspective for the players and what they are, are making now. Is it where it should be or where I want it to be? No, but it's heading in the right direction. Uh, we have another question on X. Scott Hardwick asks, is Dean Smith soccer as good as Dean Smith basketball? All right, so here's the problem. So when I Googled Dean Smith because Charlotte just named Dean Smith as their head coach, I get this basketball guy. Explain to me who this person is. Uh, Dean Smith, legendary former basketball coach, uh, North Carolina Tar Heels. Uh, Rob Stone is a big uh, North Carolina Hoops fan, so I imagine Dean Smith would be probably his favorite human being. He guided the Tar Heels to two national titles, one in 82, and Michael Jordan hit a game-winning shot against Georgetown, and then one in 93 against the Michigan Fab Five. He was the beneficiary of Chris Webber's ill-fated timeout. This all happened before Jack's time, so I'm sure he has no clue what I'm talking about with the Fab Five. <laughs> but um, uh, nevertheless, uh, another Dean Smith is in the news. Charlotte FC, as you mentioned, they hire Dean Smith, who previously managed Aston Villa, Leicester, Norwich. And I saw you tweeting about this. He now has to adapt to a very different world in Major League Soccer. Uh, he does. Uh, so, Scott, it's a good question. And look, Charlotte should be so lucky if he can equal or even come close to the feats and the success of the basketball Dean Smith. That's fair to say, right? Yep. So immediately I go and I, <clears throat> I'm looking at stuff. And, and look, Dean Smith has been around, but again, and as you mentioned when I, I put up on X there, like any coach who has experience but has little to no experience when it comes to Major League Soccer, 
there's going to be a betting in process and there's going to be an adjustment process and your ability not just to adjust, but also to accept the fact that there are things that not only you can't change, but will, if you don't have an open mind, drive you crazy. And the history is littered with managers that have come through and it has driven them crazy and they have not been successful. And the best ones have gotten on with the job, recognized that they're not going to be able to do the things that they have done in previous positions. But there might be some things actually that they end up liking and working in their favor. We were just talking you know, earlier about the haves and the have-nots and the, and the Jose Mourinho. Well, if, if Jose Mourinho were to coach in Major League Soccer, because of the manufactured parity, that gap and that disparity um, is, is very, very different. Now, there is, there is a widening type of hole between the haves and the have-nots, but it's not even close to the rest of the world. So I think it's all going to depend on how he comes in and how quickly he adapts to this team and obviously to this league and to this culture that he's coming into. He's evidently been vacationing over the years with his family and his son's, uh, son's has, has a history here. But, you know, when I go on the Charlotte website and I see um, titled Dean Smith's Vision, Creating Environment of Togetherness at Charlotte FC. So you can play a drinking game with these types of things, right? When, when, when coaches and new coaches talk about what, they're, what they want to do, right? None of them say, we want to give the ball to the other team and we want to absorb as much pressure as possible and we want to counter and set peace goal until, until we win. Nobody's ever going to say that. So you can go through this article and you can see all the different stuff about um, you know, how he feels he needs to move this team. And there's all the buzzwords and togetherness, the cornerstone of success. And um, that's my biggest word is togetherness. All right, I get it. Fight in spirit. They want to be together. They want to have that. And I'm not saying that that is, isn't important. And I'm not saying that there isn't value to having that. But, you know, this particular ar- other article did, didn't give us any idea other than all of the platitudes that every coach has about creating a united team uh, understanding the players, making the players better, therefore making the team uh, better. Uh, and even some flipping type of stuff about the game of soccer has never changed. This is him talking. You know there's two teams and the idea is to stop them from scoring in your goal and score on theirs. And I said that with a, sm- a smirk on his face, according to uh, this article. But, you know, this is, this, is a, this is a coach that I think is going to be put into a situation with a team that is expecting big things. With a team that if you don't perform, I mean, they get, they get a lot of fans out there. They have not been great in terms of their MLS um, history. And they are looking at somebody that is unproven when it comes to MLS. Nothing precludes somebody coming in that has no MLS experience and being successful. If they're, if they're good, I think they're good. If they're good, I think that they will have done their homework in terms of the travel involved, in terms of the surface involved. By the way, they play on a synthetic surface over there in Charlotte. Uh, given the conference that you play in, um, given the culture that you live in, all of these different things, it's no longer good enough in this information age for a player, coach, manager, whatever you want to call them, to be taken aback and to be blindsided by the realities on the field and off the field of American soccer in 2023. You should know before you even get on your plane. And I got a feeling that Smith understands that and will look at this as as an opportunity. And, you know, there's going to be some arms folded when it comes to what, what he is doing. So ultimately, Scott, no, he's not going to be as good as the basketball Dean Smith, but he doesn't have to be. Evidently, this Dean Smith basketball guy was so good that just be a little Dean Smithy, if you will. Dick Vitale nicknamed the basketball Dean Smith Michelangelo. There we go. Well, paint a picture, soccer Dean Smith, and good luck and welcome. Anything else, Masi? That's it. All right, let's take another quick break. When we come back, it's the end of our show, and I will give you my one for the road. Don't go anywhere. Okay, welcome back. It's the end of our show, and at the end of each and every show, I give you my one for the road. Moss, you know the uh, big man up north? He's uh, making a list, checking it twice, doing all that kind of stuff. And uh, myself and, like, a lot of kids around the world are making their wish list uh, when it comes to uh, what they want. So this is my wish list for 2024. And I don't think it's too much to ask. 
Uh, and so I started to th think of different things, some bigger things, some smaller things, some presents, maybe some stocking stuffers when it comes to uh, American soccer out there. So we're going to start out with next year in terms of on the soccer field. All right. Number one, Copa America. We've talked agnosium about what Copa America means and is going to mean to Greg Berhalter and this team. I don't think it's too much for us to ask for a successful World Cup. Now, what that ultimately is, is in the eye of the, the beholder. A lot of talk, uh, by the way, in Atlanta about what is or what should be looked at as success when it comes to Copa America. But I think, like the uh, Supreme Court uh, you know, obscenity uh, definition, I can't tell you what it is, but I know it when I see it, all right? We will know success in Copa America. This women's team, we'll talk more about the, the women's team in terms of uh, the leadership, but this women's team needs to get back to doing what they have done so well and done better than anybody else out there, and that is winning. And the next big tournament uh, that they have will be, yes, Gold Cup coming up in the spring, but also next summer when it comes to the Olympics. And we always talk about the women's national team in terms of the, uh, the cycle of one summer with the World Cup and then immediately the next summer, the big tournament being, uh, being the Olympics. It's going to look very, very different, this team. But again, get back to winning, and that solves a lot of the problems. That also alleviates a lot of the drama that tends to surround this women's team. And I don't think that that is too much to ask. When it comes to the women's team, leadership is important. So I am wishing that Emma Hayes comes in, and I want her to clean house. I want her to come in and rule with an iron fist. I want her to come in and say, you know what? There is a new sheriff in, the t in town, and she's not taking any from anybody. And I want her to make sure that she has the players in place. I want to make sure that she has the authority to make the decisions and maybe some difficult decisions along the way. And ultimately, I think that she understands that she is getting to come into the, 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 the program almost at the perfect situation. Well, that has to play out on the field. And so, like we talked about the Gold Cup and the Olympics, I think it's an important way of Emma, Emma stamping her, uh, stamping not just her, her, her identity and her vision for this team, but doing it immediately and establishing, you know what? We're back. And we are back. And we're maybe doing it in a different way, but ultimately it still results in wins. And I hope that that happens by introducing new players. All right. When it comes to older players, Tyler Adams. I, I, am, I, am, I am worried about Tyler Adams. And so this would be a gift, the likes of which <laughs> maybe Santa hasn't seen. I want a healthy Tyler Adams back because I think that he is a generational type of player. And I worry with these injuries, now two major injuries and a lot of time off, if it doesn't heal where he can be that type of player that we're looking at a John O'Brien type of situation. So heal that, that hamstring and heal that leg and give me back the Tyler Adams that I, that, that I think and so many people think can be impactful on the field and can lead that team going forward because this team is going to need the likes of Tyler Adams going back. So uh, number four, another number nine. We talk so much Mossy about the striker situation for this national team. And I know right now it's Balogun Pepe, Balogun Pepe, Balogun Pepe. I'm still not convinced that ultimately to do the best that we can, whether it's next summer in Copa America, or certainly when it comes to 2026, that those are the two players that are going to lead us to the promised land. And I feel like we're almost settling that that's it. I am hoping that another number nine comes along. Maybe it's someone we've talked about before, maybe DK or these types of players, uh, Josh Sargent-esque type of players, but hopefully it's even somebody different because there is still an opportunity. I know everybody said when Balogun came along, all right, this is it, we finally found our guy. I'm still not so sure. So I am hoping and praying that there's some others that rise to the occasion and rise to the opportunity and put some pressure and we get, we get our heads turned, if you will for another number nine, and maybe one that we're not even talking about right now. And then Gio, we've talked so much on the State of the Union about Gio Reyna and the situation at Dortmund. It's untenable, it's not going to work. So not only do I hope that he finds a new club, but in finding a new club, it's not just about being comfortable on the field and getting playing time. Yes, that's important. But I want him to find a new lease on life, if you will. I want him almost to turn a new chapter and, put all of that stuff 
behind. Uh, let's see. Anything else, Mossy, in terms of these five that I've uh, that I've laid out? Number four is quite the take. Uh, really? Doug McIntyre just drove off the road. So you're not sold well, he's on either the Balligan or He's Pepe. on the Pepe. Yes. I'm saying there could be another train coming along, another track. Who knows? Uh, that's what I'm looking for. Uh, on number five, I'm fascinated to see. Uh, I neglected to mention Gio did come on late in Dortmund's 1-1 draw against PSG. But I agree with you. He needs uh, a move. And I'm fascinated to see which clubs emerge as potential suitors. We haven't seen too many concrete rumors yet. We're dying to do this potential landing spot segment. But for that to happen, we actually need some legitimate rumors out there so we can rank them. Um, otherwise, it's just Sean Sullivan making up things you know, out of thin well, I mean, air. It might uh, happen in the spring, but if it doesn't happen in the spring, then it's got to happen in the, uh, in the summer. Uh, and then going all the way back to the first one, it's going to be interesting to see the squad, how they juggle the Copa America and the Olympics. Again, we had Doug McIntyre on one of our TV shows recently to talk about that. And he said Walker Zimmerman might go to the Olympics as an overage player. So, yeah, having those two tournaments in the same summer and how you juggle them, that's going to be fascinating. But maybe, because, you know, I was talking about the women's Olympic uh, uh, campaign, but from a men's Olympic campaign, if, and maybe this goes back down to number four, maybe somebody emerges in that form of the national team that's playing in the Olympics that people say, hey, this is kind of interesting. And they use that as their coming out party. Who knows? I know that's a lot of wishing. I know, Santa, listen, uh, hook me up here, all right? I, I don't think it's too much to ask, my friend. Uh, all right, listen, we've had a, a wonderful uh, show. Mossy, anything to say to folks before we go? That's it. All right, keep listening, keep rating, keep subscribing. Uh, Mossy's getting on a plane tonight, heading off to uh, be with his family. Uh, for uh, for the holidays, but we will still be cranking out the State of the Union podcast. We got some really interesting things coming, especially the week of uh, Christmas and, and New Year's. For uh, so, make sure you do uh, check that out. Uh, what did I say? Rate, just uh, subscribe, review, download, do all the different things that you uh, that you do. Thank you again, as you mentioned, to all the men and women that have worked so hard to make this set look the way it ha- it is. It's incredible, and it's even more festive now with uh, the Christmas trees and the, and the wreaths and all the different stuff, uh, stuff that we have. Um, we'll finish it with this. Even though we have, uh, and we, as we explained to our listeners and our viewers, that we have been partying, there's possibly some more partying about to happen here. Yeah, neither you or I will be there, but I, I, there's rumors about a digital Christmas party. Tonight. Wow, wow. Well, wherever, wherever you're partying, be safe, uh, but have a wonderful time, and I hope you're with people uh, that are interesting and uh, that care for you, because we certainly are here with our, uh, our Fox family. We will talk to you again uh, later on uh, next week, and until then, and as always, my friends, size the day.